formerly with SUM. He was kind of a lot of the brains behind that. So uh, you're going to enjoy Dr. Miller tonight. So Dr. Miller, let me get your microphone going. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. It's always a privilege to share the Word of God, and I get to teach it every week, and so that's always a lot of fun. I love teaching. So we'll, we'll probably have more of that style of presentation. You know, sermon is more of teaching. My wife tells me I'm not a very good preacher, but I'm a really good teacher, you know. So we might as well do what your strengths are, right? So I, I'm going to talk about I've been writing uh, two or three articles that have been published in our journal for the college on Job and prayer and why bad things happen to good people. Very difficult topic. And so I uh, have a passage that, that I'm going to look at tonight it's with Elisha. And, um, you know, sometimes you want, okay, what do the people need to hear? You know, what does God want to say to you? So I, was, I had another passage picked out last week when I knew I was going to be here. And then during the week I said, you know what, I just don't feel good about that. I think I, think I need to share about Elisha because it really shows you that people are people. And when we get these passages, I hope you see that. I have a three things I, I tell students. I want to share two of them with you that I think people really need to get a handle on. The first thing is that people live in what I call perpetual rightness. They never think they're wrong. Now, I know that you can prove that because of logic. And here's how the logic goes. If people discover that they're wrong about something, what do they do? They immediately change it so they're right again. So everything every one of you thinks tonight, you think is correct. Otherwise, you would fix it. And so we have, all of us live in perpetual rightness. And so because of that, sometimes we miss opportunities to hear what God is trying to say to us. Why? Because we know everything. And since we know everything, well, there's no more need for any other knowledge because we have everything figured out. You know, just ask a teenager. You know, I, had, I have a sermon. I, I used this many, many years ago, and, and I still like it because it works well. You want to have the answer to all of life's questions, just run a teenager for three hours. They have all the answers. You know, now, you remember back when you was a teenager, so, you know, you, you can appreciate that, okay? And, yeah, that's right. We were right, you know. The other thing I want to share with you is, is that people never change. Only the conveniences of life. Now, I don't mean people don't change their, their lifestyle or they, they change to become a Christian. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people, us, people. David, King David, for example, or Solomon, or, or Moses, or any of these people you read in the Bible, they are just like your neighbors, your politicians, and everybody that around you. You see them in the Bible. And what's great about the Bible is it never tried to cover up people's faults. I mean, after all, you know, David was doing a little pornography. And then, he, then he acted on his pornography instincts and has a woman become pregnant and then murders his husband or her husband to cover up his sin. I mean, people don't change. Only conveniences of life. We have indoor plumbing. He had an outhouse. We have cars and jets. He had a donkey. See what I'm saying? So when you read people in the Bible, I want you to realize they are your neighbors, your politicians, your family members, whatever. 
One of my favorite passages, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to just share it with you. In, 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 uh, when Solomon died, his son was going to take over, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam goes to the people up in Shechem because they, they say, hey, listen, before we, we agree to you being our king, we want a few things figured out here. First of all, uh, you know, your daddy was pretty tough. He taxed us. He made us work hard. He was, he was a slave driver. I mean, and we're just not into that. We want a tax cut. So Rehoboam's thinking to himself, okay, how should I respond to this? He said, well, give me three days to think about it. So he goes away for three days. He gets with his counselors and gets with his friends. And his counselors said, listen, tell them what they want to hear today, and tomorrow you can do whatever you want. Boy, that sounds familiar. Then his young friend said, what do you mean? Man, you're going to be the king. You tell them all that's, that's rubbish. You're going to do even harder. Than you. You're going to raise taxes, and you're going to, you're going to do, make them work even harder. Well, guess that, that campaign pledge didn't go over so well. They should have used the one that the politicians all use today. Wouldn't tell you what you want to hear and then do behind your back what they want to do. You know, because that's usually what happens. You know, they're, they're figuring out how to make themselves rich and how to, how to use the system. That's unfortunate, but, you know, that's the cold reality. So now that we've established, number one, none of you think you're wrong about anything. And number two, that you're just like everybody in the Bible. Now we're going to look at someone in the Bible and see how that person dealt with situations. And so we want to look at Elisha. And he has two prayers I want to analyze. Two prayers listed. The first one is in, in first, uh, 2 Kings 6, 15 through 22. So let me read this to you. Now, uh, before I read this, he just had some really amazing miracles happen in chapter 5. Nahum came up to him and said, listen, I got leprosy, can you, can you pray for me? And he said, yeah, go, go dip in the Jordan seven times. And, and Nahum was really upset because he thought he'd come out there and go hocus pocus and do all kinds of stuff and he'd be healed there on the spot, you know, with some miraculous prophetic thing. And, and so, but Nahum goes and he gets healed and he comes back and says, you, hey, thanks. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And he says, no, I don't want anything. Isn't that amazing? He could have had all that money and all that stuff and he didn't. And, and so Nahum, you've got to love this statement. Nahum says, listen, I need a couple loads of dirt for my donkey. A couple loads of dirt? What's wrong with you? You know, you just got healed from leprosy, and, you, and you're asking the prophet for two loads of dirt, two baskets of dirt. Well, the reason why he wanted those two baskets of dirt is because he found the king, the God of Israel. And he could not go home and worship the God of Israel because his theology was so messed up. Because you'll remember, they don't have much theology back then. They didn't teach it. You know, they don't have Sunday school. They didn't have Bibles. They, and so his theology was, if I want to worship the God of Israel who healed me of leprosy, I have to have two loads of dirt. Why? So then when he goes back home to the God of the Syrians, he could put that dirt down on the ground and be on God's dirt, not the God of Syria, because he didn't, he didn't understand that the God of Israel was the God of the universe. He thought the God of Israel was just that dirt down there in Israel. So people have really strange theology. But you know what I love about Elisha? He didn't sit there and say, man, are you, what are you, a third grader? You don't need that dirt. It's all God's dirt. He didn't do that. He said, help yourself. Because he knew he would grow into God, 
and it would take time. And we as, we as people are like that. We got some really weird theology sometimes, you know, because it's your mama's theology or your, your, you know, who knows where it came from, right? And we, we, it says, I've already shown you that nobody thinks they're wrong about anything they think. You see, you got weird theology, I got weird theology, we all got weird stuff, you know, that, we, that God's going to say one day, where'd you get that from, you know what I'm saying? So, Elisha now, he's in a city and it's surrounded by the same people that Nahum was a general of their army. Now he's surrounded the city and it's not looking too good. So let's read. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 22. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open your, the, his eyes, Lord, so he may see. And then the Lord opened his eyes, servant's eyes, and he looked, and on the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around, Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed, Lord, strike the army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And Elisha told them, this is not the road, this is not the city, follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And then he led them to Samaria. And after they had entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And the Lord opened their eyes and looked. And they were inside Samaria. And the king of Israel saw them. And he asked, shall I kill them, my father? (coughs) Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who have been captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat, drink, and go back to their master." So that's pretty gracious. Here he is. He says, you know what? I'll help you blind guys out. He takes them in and gets them surrounded by the whole army of Samaria. And and says, you know, should I eliminate my enemy? No, don't do that. Feed them and send them home. Pretty generous. Ha-ha, but what happens next? Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Iran, mobilized his entire army, marched up and laid siege to Samaria. Now, the first prayer was, open their eyes, and they saw. And you have the Nahum before that, in chapter 5. Laid siege to Samaria. And there was a great famine in the city, and the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of cab of seed pods for five shekels. And as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. And the king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? even from the threshing floors, from the wine press. They've been surrounded, penned up in that city for months. Food's starting to go short. It's getting desperate. Then he asked her, what's the matter? And she, she answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. And the next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. And when the Lord heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. And he, as he went along the wall, the people looked, and they saw that his robes, and he was uh, under his robes, he had sackcloth on his body. And he said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Saphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a messenger ahead, and before, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do not 
Don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? And look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of the master's footsteps behind him? While he was still talking to them, the messenger came to him. The king said, this is disastrous for the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? All right, let's put this all in context. Elisha had conquered them all with the Lord's help the previous year. Fed them and sent them home. Those same people now are surrounding Samaria and they're starving the people out until they surrender. And it's so bad, they're eating babies. Now, most people, you know, they get all hung up on all those details. But that's not the detail I get hung up on. I get hung up on the detail, where was Elisha's prayers for six months? Do you think Elisha was sitting there saying, no, I can't pray, Lord, deliver these people quite yet because we're not eating babies yet. I, I, I just can't believe Elisha was thinking that way. Do you? I'm thinking to myself, Elisha is probably praying every day, and the worse the food gets, the harder he's praying. Yet, it gets to the point where we're eating babies. So I ask myself, when I read stuff like this, I say, you know, most people... They, they, they read the Bible, but they forget to put yourself in their shoes. When you read the Bible, be Elisha and think about, okay, if I was Elisha, what would I be doing? I assure you, you would not be sitting there saying, I think I'll wait until they start eating babies before I pray. So that tells me that he was praying the whole time, but nothing was happening. Can you imagine how disappointing he is? How, how utterly frustrated he would be. I think what happens a lot of times is, you know, we pray for things and things happen. And then we pray for things and they don't happen. And then we get frustrated with God. I had a friend recently. His, last year his daughter was, uh, well, actually three years ago she was diagnosed with leukemia. She's 27 and she passed away. And he's a, he's a mega pastor. You know, he's got an 1,800-person church. Very successful. Founded Bridges Christian College. Now he's the president of Evangel College. And yet, all of their prayers seem to not be answered. Because his daughter died at 27. Now, I don't know about you, but man, how do you recover from that? How do you recover from that? You know, people get angry with God because they don't get the answers to the prayers they want in the time they want. I can imagine Elisha was like that. I really do. I can see him being frustrated. Lord, last year I just said a simple prayer and this was all taken care of. What's going on here? Why won't you take care of business for me? Now, so why do I bring that up? That seems like a very negative story, doesn't it? I bring it up because Elisha is just like us. Sometimes the prayers aren't answered the way he thinks you think they should be answered. When I, when I was a teenager, I was dating a young lady, and, 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 and she was praying for an AMC pacer. God was going to give her a pacer. And... Uh, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to pray for a car. It's sure not going to be an AMC pacer. 
know, most of you don't have no idea what a pastry. Some of you in here know what I'm talking about, but most of you don't. You know, it was the goofiest looking car. All this glass. It was a flop. She never got her pacer, although she does have 13 kids today. Yeah, I uh, dodged that bullet. <laughs> but, you know, her and her husband have a great family, but she never got her AMC pacer. Well, why? Well, was it, is, is that how we're supposed to pray, Lord, give me a, give me a Mercedes, you know? So sometimes our prayers, or James calls, are missed. You know, they're just, they're just not very good prayers. But when you're praying for something that seems logical, you would like God to respond in a positive way, right? I was at a Catherine Kuhlman, uh, well, I can't meet, I don't know what they would call them. You know, uh, it was a get-together, it was in Tampa, Florida in 1976 or 77, I don't remember what year now, but it was when I was in college. And so we went to see Catherine Kuhlman. And, you know, she's a little bit of a controversial person in some ways. Some people like her. Some people didn't like her. But, but let me tell you, I have never since that time, that, that can't be, I have never been in a more powerful presence of God as I was with Catherine Kuhlman's ministry. Sometime later, I, when I was, I think it was my ordination um, uh, ceremony at the... Uh, Louisiana District Council back in 1994, uh, Brother Crabtree spoke at that uh, district council. And he shared about Catherine Kuhlman, how he really didn't like her, and, and, and he, he had to be the person to introduce her in San Jose because he was the head of the church alliance that invited her to come and speak. And, and so he's, he's got, he has to introduce her, but he doesn't like her really personally for a lot of different reasons. And, and so he's telling the story about how he was conflicted and then it was time to, to get with Catherine Kuhlman before the service started, and she grabs him by the hand and says, pray, because if God doesn't show up, nothing's going to happen. Now, there's a woman who said in her biography or autobiography, whoever wrote it, that four men were given the ministry she took, but they turned God down, and she said, oh, God, if you want me to do it, fine. Because she was hesitant, too. This is back when women preachers weren't as common as they are today in, on TV. You know, this is this. You know, she took a lot of flack. I tell you, that was a lesson well learned. If God doesn't show up, nothing's going to happen. And so, Elisha's learning that lesson pretty hard. He's praying, Lord, do something, and nothing's happening. And the reason why I point this story out to you in this way, it seems like a negative way to point out Elisha, is because I want you to know that he's just like us. He's just like you. Sometimes your prayers are answered, and sometimes you're sitting there saying, well, what's going on here, God? Back to the book of Job that I mentioned early on when I was talking about writing some articles about Job. Um, you know, a lot of people get all tied up in this, the, the Job issue of the Satan and God contest in chapter 1 and 2, and, and, they, and, they, and they put a lot of time and energy there. If you go there into the book of Job, and that's where you put your energy, you lost the whole meaning of the story. Job suffered, and he was a righteous guy. And what most people don't realize is that his friends, he's got three friends his age, and he's got the younger guy who's there, must be the guy who cuts his grass, 
They're sitting there telling Job, okay, Job, you know, righteous people don't suffer. So what would you do to deserve this? That seems like a reasonable question, you know, Job. But God blesses people who do right and he curses people who do wrong. That's what Deuteronomy says. And so, therefore, fess up what you do. But that's not what got Job in so much trouble with his friends. What got Job in trouble with his friends is that that is the message Job preached. And so they said, Job, did you not say? Wow. See, most times people read through the Job material, they fail to understand a critical point about the story. And that is, Job was suffering. His friends saw the suffering as a, as a sign of his sin. And so therefore, fess up because that's what he'd been preaching. He'd been preaching that for years. But now come back to haunt him. You know, it reminds you of famous preachers. Uh, I'll, I'll mention this one. You know, Jimmy Swaggart, Baton Rouge. Why was he so soundly condemned for what he did? Because he was preaching against what he did. And people don't like that. You know, same with politicians. When the politicians tell you to wear a mask, and then they don't wear a mask because they're privileged. How do you like that? You just don't like that, do you? I find it to be so hypocritical that, uh, you know, it just drives me nuts. You know, I'm in charge. I can do what I want, but I'm going to tell you what to do. See? And so we have this dilemma with Job that he had been preaching this for years, and now his friends are taking his words and throwing them back at him, and he doesn't like it too much. So... I have a friend in Slidell who was paralyzed in an accident, said he'd never walk again. He went to a Benny Hen uh, crusade, and he walks today. The doctors are just dumbfounded. How, how, this, you know, how does this happen? It was because God did a miracle. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you that if your prayer is not answered at first, you don't give up. What you do is you seek God out and say, God, Help me find the solution for what you want me to do. There was a, uh, I was over in uh, Gulfport, Long Beach, actually, at uh, Jay West was, was pastoring the church at that time, a number of years back. And he had a friend of his come in from Florida to preach. And I just love this story. Because it's, it's firsthand. The guy was saying, this is what happened to me. And he was talking about it. And so he he. Pastor Robert, he, he, he said to the congregation, we're going to have a work day on Saturday. Come out and help paint the place and do the flowers and spruce the place up. And so Saturday rolls around and not one person showed up to help. And so he's stewing in his frustration. You know, you, you, at least one person would come out and help him, right? And so he's in the flower garden and he's, you know, he's doing the dirt thing with flowers. You know, that's not my thing. That's my wife's thing, but... I pull weeds for her, but that's about it. And so he's planting the, the flowers and the lilies or whatever he's putting in the ground, and, and this guy walks up, and he says, Hey, are you the pastor? <laughs> you know, he's down in the dirt, you know, and he's working on, you know, these flowers, and he's probably, you've got to be kidding me, you know. This guy's going to come out here and bother me when I'm in the dirt, right? And he says, he says, are you the pastor? And he says, yeah, I'm the pastor. He says, I hear when you pray for people, God heals them. I want you to pray for my need. So 
being a, in a foul mood and not in the best of spiritual conditions at that moment in time. He figured, well, you're going to get what you asked for. He reaches over with his dirty hands and grabs a hold of his knee with his white pants on and prays that God will heal his knee. Didn't think much about it. Went on his way planting his daylilies. I don't know what he was planting, but he planted something else. So then two weeks later comes by. The man comes back to the church. He says, Pastor, here's a check for $250,000 to build that youth center across the street that you've been wanting to do but haven't had the money for because God healed my knee. Now I ask you, did the pastor have any faith at that moment in time? Probably, if it was, it was probably not very measurable. Pastor uh, Dr. Cyril Homer, president of Southeastern College, when I attended there back in the 70s, he had a lot of great stories about World War II and being a medic and, and an aircraft carrier kind of thing. And, but he had this one story he told. It's similar to what I just told you. He said, I was in the hospital, you know, 12-hour shifts, you know, 12 hours of ministry, and he was tired. He was trying to go home. And this, these people cornered him in the elevator and said, are you the chaplain? He said, yes. And he says, you know, we need, we need God's intervention. And he's tired. He's, he's not really up to the challenge, but he just throws a prayer up for these people so he can go home. And God did a miraculous miracle for that family. What's that tell me? That tells me that God was going to do it with or without you. It would be better to do it with him. Wouldn't it be great to have joy in the fact that you prayed for that man's knee and it happened? I'm sure he was joyful when he got that check for $250,000. It was not his power that healed. It was God's power that healed. And until you recognize that it's God that matters in your life, and that sometimes your plan is not God's plan, and sometimes when you pray, it's not the way you want it to be answered. But let me tell you, you know, there's usually reasons why God does things that we don't understand, and, and, and that's the frustration. You know, uh, I'm sure, the, the, you know, uh, Pastor Kathy and Robert have been in the hospital when something just terrible happens. You know, a drunk driver runs over a, a teenager, you know, and, 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 the, and the mamas and dads say, Why? Why? You see, we, we, we struggle with those things, and, 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 and there's no answer. The best thing you can do is, is just cry with them. Because sometimes bad things happen to good people. Habakkuk chapter 1 is an interesting story. I'm not going to read it. I'll just share it with you. You can go back and get your Bible and read it. But in Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk saying, God, this is intolerable that the wicked are taking advantage of the righteous. They're getting the blessings, and the, and the blessings are not coming to the righteous. What's up with this, God? And Habakkuk's complaining to God. And so God says, Habakkuk, let me tell you, you think it's bad now? You just wait. It's going to get really bad when I send the Babylonians because they're going to destroy everything, and it's going to be really bad. And Habakkuk says, God, seriously, God? You can't look on evil like that. You can't let this happen. That's just not you. And he says, Habakkuk, let me tell you, 
It is going to happen. In fact, write it down because it is going to happen. Habakkuk is still kind of confused and probably upset. And then the Lord says to him, the just shall live by faith. The just don't live by bank accounts. The just don't live by the external things of life. We live by faith in Christ. We live by faith in God. And you're going to have many disappointments in life if you live long enough. I mean, I, I, we've been pretty blessed. I mean, my, both my parents are now passed away. That's because I'm getting old. You know, it's going to happen. See? But, you know, you, you count your blessings, but you can't give up when, when the blessings aren't as good as you want. And, and I go back to Elisha now, and I, I want you to think about Elisha. Here's a man who, when he was in the grave... They threw a dead body on his grave, and the man came back to life. I, boy, that is amazing. You think about it. And he had many other miracles. In fact, he asked for a double portion when Elisha left, Elijah left in the whirlwind. He asked for a double portion. And if you count up all the miracles recorded in the biblical text of Elijah, and then count all the miracles of Elisha, it's twice as many. And so even a man who is twice as powerful in prayer as Elijah, who stopped the rain and had great successes, still at one moment in his life struggled with getting through to God in prayer. So when you're, when you're struggling and it seems like your prayers are hitting the roof, you're not alone. Elisha had the same problem. But what he did not do was he did not give up on God. And at that moment that he had to have the answer and the prayer answered, God did indeed answer the prayer because if you read on a little further there, it says in chapter 7, Elisha replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow as she, uh, uh, Seth, a fine flour will sell for a shekel and two sheaves for barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So it's like, man, it's like inflation went in reverse big time. Why? Because now there was plenty because the Assyrians were wiped out. I mean, the, the Assyrians were wiped out and God delivered the city from the, the uh, starvation. And all the spoils that the army had sitting outside the gates was for their taking. They just had to go out and get it. And so as we go through life, I, I want you to think about the thing I said earlier when I started this, this message. You and everybody around you, family, friends, ministers, politicians, they're in the Bible. And so when you read the Bible, see what's there in terms of what today is. Because then it comes to life. I, I'm just always amazed at how the scriptures reflect people today. Like, like, it's, just un, it's just unbelievable. It really is. People's lusts and sins and, and what they try to cover up, it's all there. I mean, if you go to Genesis, it's like a soap opera. And, 
And I'm really glad that God put it all in there. You know why? Because it lets me know that those people are just like us. And just like God blessed them, God can bless us. And just like God answered their prayers, He will answer our prayers. And so don't give up on God when things don't go your way at first. Because Elisha, he could have gave up. He could have said, okay, king, I'm sorry. Chop my head off. I'm ready to go. No, he probably was sitting there saying, he's probably barred the door and he's probably thinking, Lord, now's the time for an answer to this thing. I can't wait no longer. And God delivered him. And God will deliver you from your situation. And, and you know, sometimes it's, it's not the way we think he'll deliver us. I'm going to finish and close with one more story. My dad was, uh, he was kind of a paradox at times because at times he would be very spiritual and other times he'd be very unspiritual. And sometimes his advice would be very unspiritual and sometimes his advice would be very spiritual. It was, it was kind of weird, you know, because he would say things and you'd sit there and say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't really match up with Scripture, you know. And, you, of course, I was a later teenager and young adult in college at the time and these things would take place. And, uh, and he said this one time, he says, God has always answered my prayers. And I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, I'll put this to the test. I said, well, Dad, I said, then you should pray that that tenant that owes you six months of back rent pays you because if you pray that God will, will answers every prayer you pray, then that would, that would get you your six months. He probably didn't appreciate it. He never, he never said a word after that to me about what I said. But you get my point. It's easy to say, oh, every prayer I've ever prayed, God has answered. Because that's what he was doing. That's what he was saying. But I know that not every prayer is answered. See? And so I said, well, you know, put it to the test then. You know, if that's true, if you've always had every prayer answered the way you wanted answered, then... Then, then pray your, your tenants will pay you the six months of rent they owe you before you have to kick them out again, you know, kick them out. See, it's one, thing, it's one thing to have words. It's another thing to have action. And, and I'm telling you, action always speaks louder than words. You can tell me how much you love God, but I want you to show me. You can tell me how much you're how spiritual you are. I have a pastor friend who, who's on Facebook for one reason, to see the spirituality of his pastors, the parishioners, the church people. Because you learn a lot on Facebook about people, what they're doing, what they're saying. I had a former student one time just use some very foul language on Facebook, and I said to him, I said, hey, man, you know, you're better than that. You know, there's, there's, there's young people that read this stuff you post. Boy, you would have thought that I was the morality police of the universe because all of the negative comments I got back from the other people on Facebook. You know? So when you stand up for, when you stand up for what's right, you're not going to be people's favorite friend. They're going to see you as, what, what, what kind of a fuddy-duddy are you? What kind of a moralistic preacher are you to, to expect people to speak honorably? When, when I have Christians that use inappropriate language, it sometimes just makes me cringe. Because the Bible says what comes out of the mouth is what comes out of the heart. 
I, I, you know, uh, the Bridges Christian College, which I'll we'll close with that a little bit about it, but uh, as the president of Bridges Christian College, I get zero money because I volunteer. Why? Because we, we only charge $200 a semester. That means you can get a, a four-year BA degree for only $1,800. Not, not $180,000. $1,800. So $600 a year, you can work on your bachelor's degree and prepare for ministry. But one day I was, because I, I, I'm a master automobile technician and a master machinist, so one day I wasn't too bright. I had my fingers inside the wheel, uh, wheel and I went to turn it, and my fingers were smashed between the brake caliper and the sharp edge of that aluminum wheel. Now, as as an automobile technician, you know, they, they are not the most wholesome guys in the world. Neither are car salesmen. And uh, and so when they would use foul language around me, I would, like, for example, the, the one salesman, he would use the, the M word with the F word. And so I just got sick and tired of him talking like that around me all the time. I said to him, I said, listen, you really shouldn't talk about your mother that way. He looked at me with a bewildered face, and then he never used those words around me again. <laughs> See, sometimes you have to stand up to the world and say, you know what, that's enough. I was walking by the, the Toyota technicians one day. And they were waxing eloquently about how God had provided their new main squeeze through the Internet. This is back when the Internet was just barely the Internet. And how it was God just miraculously did this as I walked by. I'm getting a drink in the drinking fountain. I turn around. I walk back. I said, one moment, please. The last time I checked, it says that adultery is not condoned by God. You left your wives for these Internet women. And you say God is condoning this? And then I walked away. Why do we allow the world to set these crummy standards and then just accept it? I say no. It's just like the parents stand up for CRT in Virginia. They had enough. As Christians, you shouldn't go out and you know, you don't have to go out and be mean to people, but you don't have to let lies about God go unchallenged. Because when you stand up for God, trust me, he'll stand up for you. And so when you go into the world, I want you to remember that everybody that you see in the Bible is out there on the streets. And that your job is to get them to find God. And, and, uh, and so I just challenge you to to stand up for the principles we believe in. Because when you do, you know what? Those two guys, eventually, they, they, you know, you'd think they wouldn't be my friend after that. But they kind of knew that I was telling the truth, and they, and they sheepishly kind of apologized for what they'd said. You know, they didn't come out and say, well, you know, I was wrong about sleeping with this woman, you know, leaving my wife. That's all they said. But they said, you know, we just really hadn't thought about what you just said. You know? And so... Don't, don't let the world push us around when it comes to truth. We have the truth. 
And it's up to us to stand up and be counted for the truth instead of cowering. Oh, I don't want to be canceled by Facebook. I don't even go on Facebook. It just, you know, I just don't like it. I commented about $15 an hour McDonald's workers five years ago, and you thought I was a, 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 a neo-Nazi or something. I mean, I got to all this criticism. I said, I don't have to deal with this stuff. These people are nuts. You know? <laughs> See? When you stand up to the nuts, they start throwing stuff at you. But you know what? What did Jesus say? He said, you know, if you think they're going to love you because you love me, you're delusional. I know I made it a little different, but that's, I'm trying to make it real for you. We stand up to the sin of the world, the LBGQXYZ group. You know, they change it. It's hard to keep up, so I have to store all the letters in there so I have it. You know? You know, there was a lady on, on the radio in 1980. And in 1980, the thing was, AIDS was sent by God to punish the, gen, the, uh, the homosexuals. Well, that was kind of a stupid thing to say because there was a lot of un- homosexual people getting AIDS too, right? And she said this. She was a Catholic woman. And she said this. The problem is this, is that people think one sin is worse than another. The same people that are saying that are committing adultery and they think it's okay. Or fornication. Whatever, they, whatever your, you know, your, your prefer, preferred choice of words. Or stealing. Or lying. See? Sin is sin. It doesn't matter which one you choose. You're guilty just like they are. It's just a different one. And so I challenge you to remember that everyone that you see in the Bible is like everyone you see on the street. And I've said it at least five times. Because if you say it three times, you might remember it. Because next week, none of you are going to remember what I preached about tonight. Oh, yeah, he was there last week. What did he preach about? I hope you carry th- three things with you. People never think they're wrong. And if, you, and if you realize that, you'll say, you know what? I could be wrong about more stuff than I realize. You'll, and you'll, you'll listen instead of, when I got saved, it's because I could not argue with the preacher. When the girls down the street that was going to this church would try to witness to me, I was an atheist at seventh grade, eighth grade atheist. No, that's what they teach you in school, right? And, and I, would just, I would just tear them up with arguments. The Jehovah Witness, I love Jehovah Witness talk to them. I just tear them up with arguments because they didn't know how to handle the arguments. So I mean, my dad made us go to church because he wanted to sell Amway. I got saved because of Amway. Okay, well, there's something good comes out of Amway. So he figured that the only way to find people would be go to church, and so he made everyone go to church. I'm there, Dad. What? I don't want to do that. Well, you're either going to go to church or that church, or you're going to go to this church. But you're going to go one of them, pick it. So I said, well, I might as well go with everyone else. I don't have to walk, you know, because I was only 13. Week after week after week, I was bombarded by the Spirit of God and the Bible and the preacher. And one day I realized how stupid I was to think that, that I had all the answers. And I became a Christian. And then, three months later, Pastor Cave says to me, he says, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet? I says, uh, no, I need to schedule that sometime. You'll get baptized. I'm thinking water. He's thinking spirit. 
said, no, 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 I don't, I don't mean that. I mean baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know why he had no idea what, I was, what he was talking about? Because I asked my dad one day. I said, Dad, these people stand up in church and they, you know, you know, they speak this weird stuff. And then someone interprets it. What is that all about? Oh, that's Latin. There's, there, he's, that person's speaking in Latin and then the other person's translating the Latin for you. So all this time, six months, I'm in the somebody's got church thinking there's Latin and someone's interpreting Latin every Sunday. You hear what I'm telling you? you got people that come into your church. They're clueless. They don't even know where to find the, the doorknob to, to heaven because they, they, they think everyone's going to go and it's just this big wide open gate. You know, you really, really need to, to see people where they're at so that you can bring them to where they need to be. And they think they're right. That's why I keep telling you that. They think they're right. And so you have to convince them that, the, that they don't know everything. And, you know, the old adage, you don't know what you don't know, that is so true. You think you know, but you really don't. Well, let's close this thing up. I did, prom- I did do my advertisement for Bridges. I'll be here afterwards. Four-year degree, $1,800, three years, because we do it all online. I've been doing Zoom since 2013 when they started the company. So when people were jumping on the Zoom, well, that's nothing new to us. We've been doing it forever, you know, compared to the last two years. Why do we do it that way? Because instead of charging you $60,000, I can charge you $1,800. Because I don't have to pay for a million-dollar building. I don't have to pay for janitors, and I don't have to pay for electricity because none of that goes into the cost. And so because of that, we are, we are changing how people receive biblical education. We're making it so that you graduate with zero debt so that you can go be that youth pastor or you can go be that pastor or that missionary that God's called you to do. Because God didn't call you to pay back debt. He called you to do ministry. And debt strangles many preachers in ministry because they got this $50,000, $100,000 worth of debt and they have to have that $600 a month payment in order to do it. To do that, they got to go out and they got to sell cars and they can't do ministry. See? So Bridges is designed from the ground up to be the most affordable Bible college education you can get. And our credits transfer to Southwestern, Southeastern, AGTS, Oral Roberts University. And there's dozens of other schools that take our, our students. So my point to you is if, you, if, you, if you're called to ministry, Bridges is a solution for your education. And, you know, you get to listen to me rant and rave a little bit now and then, too. You know? But, uh, you know, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that, you know, that really uh, people fail to grasp how great the information is is because they're not reading it from the perspective of being like the people you're reading about. So when you read the Bible, I want you, from this moment on, never read the Bible the same way again. I want you to read it, put yourself into Joseph's shoes. Put yourself into Paul's shoes. And think about how he's perceiving what's going on in his life. Because then it becomes alive to you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share your holy word. And, Father, I pray that you'll use these words to help people spiritually 
to strengthen their, their walk with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, Dr. Miller. Well, make sure, guys, he'll, he'll be here. Uh, he may have literature or not, but he can tell you anything you need to know. I know there's an agreement with Bridges yes, and Teen Challenge. Signed an agreement with the Teen Challenge of Louisiana to to give educational opportunities for all their staff members and their students who are graduating or near graduation. Uh, obviously, you know we want them to get through the program a little bit before they try to get into Bible college. Right. But uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, th this is an opportunity. If you're called to ministry, Bridges is the solution for your educational needs. It really is because you won't you won't be in debt. It's online. It's it's on your your time schedule. We meet live. But at the same token, we record it so if you're working during that hour of the class is broadcast, you can watch the recording and then do the interaction with the students afterwards through the, uh, through kind of like a blog. And so, so it, it totally opens up opportunity for, for Teen Challenge. How does it work with Teen Challenge? Just go online, fill out the application, send it in, give your references. Yeah. Well, we, anyone who's got a high school diploma or GED, uh, can can uh, do bridges if you don't have those things. Eh, it's a little trickier, but we can probably work with you if you, you know. You, but you really need to have a GED. It's not my rule. It's the it's the government's rule, and here's the reason why. The government says if they if they have no reasonable expectation of being able to do the program, why are you taking their money? Okay. So it's it's not that we're trying to be hard nosed about it, but if I take students who aren't don't have a GED or a diploma, then I have to I take flack from the government. And they got, they're going to say, why'd you do that? And I say, well, because they're, they're, great, they're great people. You know, they, they're Teen Challenge people. <laughs> so what? You know, but they do have a small provision for ability to benefit. So if a person is like, you know, 30 years old and they've never finished their education, but they can do the work, I, we can make some exceptions, but it's, it's rare because we have to right. have a reason why the government will allow us to do that, and that's one of the reasons. So... Uh, price affordability, and and we do classes Monday through Thursday, and those classes are uh, all online, so you can do it from wherever you're at in the world. I've had I've had students in the car with their husband driving to Texas, in class. Uh, Technology is great, really had a, is. Had a student in his car Monday, <laughs> so. but uh, make sure you see Dr. Miller. Some of y'all are are thinking about taking some Bible college courses. And stuff. So see Dr. Miller after the service. We'd love to see a bunch of people. Uh, what from I, what I would, Church would do is take in, um, get your name, your email address, and phone number, and I'm going to give it to the recruiting department, and they will send you stuff. Because the literature I have, it's it, it, it's it's getting dated, and so I've, I'd rather give you live stuff via email. So sounds great. Thank you so much. Awesome. Give Dr. Miller a hand. We're going to close out with a worship song, so make sure you turn your connection cards in at the door. Uh, if you've not signed up for the potluck, you know, we, we, um, it's amazing how relationships happen around a table when you're passing food around. And uh, so make sure you sign up for that and come. It's, it's a great time. So, uh, Father, we thank you for this word that came out tonight. Lord, help us to...